Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 204 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library's podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracu. Jacob, my good sir, how have you been? I am doing pretty good. Uh, I am enjoying uh, House of the Dragon kicking up into uh, full gear finally. Dude, though. a lot of crazy time jumps on that show. I haven't read anything as I'm watching it. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just in for the ride. I didn't know it's like recasting now. I was shook watching the the like preview for next week. Yeah, man, we're jumping ahead 10 years. Wow. You could tell that they were like, this might only be a one season show if nobody likes it because they are just rushing through They're fitting it all in. I will say I really enjoy it, but it's definitely different than Game of Thrones. A little more melodrama. Oh, definitely. A little more of a soap opera mixed into it. A lot more uh, like uh, Jamie... uh, Cersei stuff going on. This yeah, season, yeah, yeah. Sure. But I'm still, I'm definitely still into it. Yeah. Um, Any time you get some more Westeros in your in your life, uh, let's go ahead and do that. So I can't wait to see these six or twenty other shows that they're developing. Have you started the new Lord of the Rings show? Because I have not. Actually, I have, and it starts out a little rough, just you know, because like you think it looks cheap a little bit, but then I'm up to the fifth, fourth episode now, and I'm actually quite digging it. I'm liking what's going on. That's kind of funny because it is. A lot of things, but cheap is, it is not definitely one not of them. Cheap. Well, it, like when you look at it, you're like, eh, it's fantasy makeup. But then you ease into it, and you're yeah. you're fine. It's actually kind of funny. I a lot of the people that they mention on it, I actually already kind of know their storyline. But it was from the video games, like oh, okay. Shadows of Mordor. <clears throat> they go into a lot of this, so I'm all like, right. all right, well. I like when I'm ahead of the game on these Tolkienites. Something to look forward to. Also, some more things to look forward to. Did you know that here in the U.S., it is National Hispanic Heritage Month, which Uh, runs annually from September 15th to October 15th? I did not know that. I'm not totally sure why they started in the middle of the month, but I'm sure there's a good reason for it. It's so good, I will explain it to you later on. Hang around to the end of the show. Um, But So Hispanic Heritage Month has been celebrated in the U.S. for over 30 years. So we probably should have known about this thing. Um, The annual event honors Hispanic cultures and traditions originating from 20 countries in one territory. And then both the Hispanic and Latinx communities observe Hispanic Heritage Month because of their shared Spanish language. That was kind of, you know, the determining factor that brings you into Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, But with that being said, as always... Anyone can celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month. Of course. You can show off your appreciation um, for Hispanic and Latino Americans always by reading books by authors of Hispanic or Latino origin or watching movies about the culture. Go to some local events. Celebrate the contributions um, that these people have made to the U.S. I mean, I'm going on the uh, culinary side because I'm just going to have people throw pastillos at my head for the throw pastillos month. at my head every day of my life, please. Throw, no complaints. Get some get some rice going, man. We're gonna have a good old time doing. Why rice. are those pastillos so delicious? I, I mean, know. they're fried, so anything fried is super delicious. But like, well, holy they, moly, they really got to the heart of it. They're like, you know what we need? We need uh, some bread, some flaky bread, mm. and just a big stuff it with meat and cheese, clump of meat, and then you're just gonna eat that. Put some spices on there. Oh. I definitely think before the month is up, I will have to go to the Niagara Cafe. Mm-hmm. So good. That's kind of like the spot, man. That's Their the big beans spot and around rice. here. Holy moly. So um, in celebration of this year's observance, we, because we've always got your back, mm-hmm. have compiled some films and some new books from Latinx authors. Um, the books themselves, I'll say, were published in 2022, so I'm keeping it really fresh for you. 
Um, I am not keeping it as fresh. A lot of my movies are a little on the well, other side. Well, it'd be hard to pump that many out in one year. <laughs> that's true, yeah. I'm At not, least of quality. <laughs> I haven't been to the Latin section of HBO Max in a while, so I'm not sure all the new stuff that's coming out. Yeah, but, but he's going to have a list. No matter what, Jacob, you never let us down. That's what I do, man. I'm a list guy. You scare me sometimes, but you never let me down. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to start with a book. Sound good? Sound good. So the first one I'm going to recommend is More Than You'll Ever Know by Katie Gutierrez. This book has been recommended New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, Today.com, Goodreads, on and on and on. People are really loving it. So the story is in 1985, Laura Riviera marries Andres Russo in Mexico City, even though she is already married to Fabian Rivera in Texas. Great names, by the way. You got a Fabian. Oh, yeah. And they share twin sons. So through her career as an international banker, Lore splits her time between two countries and two families until the truth is revealed and one husband is arrested for murdering the other. Oh, yeah, we kind of saw that coming. Right. So in 2017, while trawling the Internet for the latest, most sensational news reports, this struggling true crime writer, Cassie Bowman, encounters an article that's detailing this tragic final act. And she is immediately enticed by what is not explored. Like, why would this woman, a mother, risk everything for some secret double marriage? So she sees this as an opportunity. She's going to track Lore down and capture the full picture and the choices and the deceptions that led to the disaster and have this really, you know, great little story. But the more time she spends with Lore, the more that Cassie's kind of questioning the facts that surround the murder itself. Mm -hmm. And soon her determination to uncover the truth could threaten to derail Lore's new quiet life and then expose the many secrets that both of these women are hiding dun, dun, dun. right so i really like it's told through alternating timelines i love that in stories and it's just like one of those gripping mysteries and you also get some of that wrenching family drama in there that you like so i think you need to check out more than you'll ever know kind of looking forward to an adaptation of that one that sounds like it's gonna be a good little story there i know they do find every good book and then usually make it into a subpart movie it's, so looking forward to it it's usually the other way around it's usually like a guy who's living the uh the double family life and it's kind of like a wife at home and stuff like that so yeah it's interesting to see they're switching it up like uh, that we like equal opportunities for everyone to be we, scumbags we do. <laughs> everybody can everybody can be up to something shady everyone don't don't ever forget that <laughs> we do not describe <laughs> Speaking of doing shady stuff, I'm going to go ahead and start with the cheeriest movie on my list. Okay. Because, you know, that's what we do here. City of God. Everybody who sees this movie has an opinion. I'm out. I can't. You just took me back to a dark place. Yeah. Like, I saw this movie when it first came out when I was, like, a, a young man. I was a young man at the time. <laughs> like, oh, boy, what a rough watch. I mean, is. an amazing film. Oh, absolutely. So, the... Basically, the shorthand uh, way to describe this movie is a story of crime and romance in the slums of Rio de Janeiro. That's basically what okay. the movie is. Now, if you've seen it, you know it's a little more intense than that because this is a particularly violent and at times rough to watch movie. Oh, yeah. But one of the things that people like about it and that's made it kind of a cult classic is the way that it does depict like the pro poverty and the gang problem that they do have in Brazil which no is no shying away there it does you know kind of have an issue yeah. with that um it takes a more like empathetic approach to like looking at the whole situation because it does have all the gang work and it does show just how dangerous it can be down there but it's showing to you from the point of view of somebody who's not directly involved in that life he's mm -hmm. just kind of right on the sidelines he knows all the major players but he's kind of letting you know, like, this is what's going on. This is how my world is. 
this is my view of it. And it make really makes you as the audience kind of look at this whole lifestyle and this area that when you're watching it in the film, you're like, there's no way that this place can be real. This seems like a little, a little kind of a hell on earth scenario going on here, but it absolutely was. Yeah, I don't even know what it still is. Kind of, kind of still do have a gang problem down there in Brazil. Not it, as much as before. And it but. helps you understand why people pack up their lives and make these really arduous journeys to other countries because mm-hmm. they're like, who can live here? Yeah, I mean, this it, is terrible. I mean, if you think the stuff's bad down there under like Bolsonaro with the whole like they had that we just had that World Cup controversy yeah. where they built all those World Cup stadiums and now they're just sitting around completely empty that they spent billions of dollars on. I so. Mean. Stuff's not gotten awfully better, but at least. But if you're looking for like a really awesome story, one of the best foreign language films to come out in the last like 25 years, go check out City God, everyone. You're gonna enjoy it. Agreed. That's a good choice. I'm gonna recommend a nonfiction book. This is called Solito by Javier Zamora, um, and this is a young poet who's telling the unforgettable story of his harrowing migration from El Salvador to the U.S. at the age of nine in this really moving um, memoir. So his adventure, this 3,000-mile journey from his small town in El Salvador through Guatemala and Mexico and across the U.S. border. He will leave behind his beloved aunt and his grandparents to reunite with his mother, who left four years ago, and a father that he barely remembers because he's a little guy. Of course. So he is traveling alone, except for a group of strangers and a coyote that was hired to lead them to safety. Um, His trip is supposed to last for two weeks. So he's nine years old, and, you know, all he's thinking about is he's going to get home, he's going to rush into his parents' arms, it's going to be great, they're going to be under the same roof. But he does not see these perilous boat trips he goes on, relentless desert treks, pointed Mm -hmm. gun, arrests, and all these deceptions that await him, nor can he know that those two weeks will expand into two life-altering months alongside this group of strangers who kind of become like an unexpected family. Because when you go through such trauma with someone. Oh, sure. Um, I'm sure if I trekked across like in all of South America with a bunch of people, I'd probably become pretty close become, to them too. Absolutely. So this memoir, this is an acclaimed poet, but this book reads like a novel. Um, and it provides an immediate and intimate account of just this treacherous and near impossible journey. Um, but also like this, the miraculous kindness that's involved and love that's delivered at unexpected moments. But it will help you have a better understanding of what so many people are going through all the time. You see, like, when I was nine years old, I was wondering like, oh, I wonder what time Power Rangers is going to be on today. Do we I get mean, like a fight in the episode Absolutely. Of Ball? It's really hard to even think about yeah. <laughs> what's going on. I, sure, I surely was not trucking solo across uh, a couple of countries and games. I wasn't even deserts. allowed to walk to school by myself. Like, come on. Yeah. You're like, oh, you get lost. Something bad will happen to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> give you another perspective on the world, everybody. It's something to think about. Something to consider. All right. All right. So I'm going to switch over to the horror section because, you know, that's kind of where I live. I do like the horror ones. Going with La Lorna. The La, Lorna. La Lorna. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm sure I did not. Uh, so it's a story of a Guatemalan general who's accused of war crimes who is haunted by the ghost of a weeping woman. So it's kind of like a folktale. It's an actual, like, folktale. Um, this particular version of it was directed by a Guatemalan director. Which is interesting because 2019 was apparently the year of La Lorna because this mm. was not the only movie about this particular ghost that came out. There's another one, A Curse of La Lorna, which was an American version okay. of this tale. I think that might be in the Conjuring verse. I'm pretty sure that oh, it is. Oh, this sounds familiar. Okay. Um, so, you know, we got two options there. But um, 
the, they're kind of two different stories because the one kind of shows the guy getting followed by a ghost that's more kind of trying to make him feel guilty about his actions. That's the Guatemalan version, you know? Mm -hmm. Ghosts are more for, you know, make you consider what you're doing as opposed to being, like, outright trying to get you. Where the American version, it just turns it out into a flat old monster, <laughs> which is... I'm going to eat you. Yeah. Got it. You got to love Americans we for took, breaking We took it all down. the meaning out of it. <laughs> yeah, we, we took it down to its base level. I'm like, ooh, it's going to be a okay. scary ghost. Um, but it's an interesting play. It's one of those things where I always find horror movies interesting when they deal with other cultures, like legit beliefs, because like here as Americans, we kind of always deal with the same kind of ghosts and the same kind of monsters all the time. So it's interesting when you see one that's based on like folklore or mythology or something like that. Um, they just recently had this American movie Antlers that came out, which deals with the Wendigo, which is kind of like a Native American uh, okay. kind of monster kind of thing. So. It's always good when um, Hollywood or Guatemala or whatever kind of delves into their own cultures for their horror movies. So yeah, I mean it's a special. It's actually perfect time. You can watch that in October. You've got oh, there you go. Hispanic Heritage Month and Halloween month. Come on. Yeah, the weather just totally fell off a cliff here, like in real quick. Oh, I know I we're have, not supposed to I talk no about the weather. I have no trouble with the weather. We we are in. We <laughs> are in my we're, happy sweater. I'm so cozy. <laughs> we got to concentrate. We are shifting into <laughs> soup mode, everybody. Yes, that's a good way to see it. Okay, because you brought that up, then I'm going to go with a little creepier book here. Um, this one is the daughter of Doctor Moreau. Oh. Yeah, we're going there. This is by Silvia Marino Garcia. This is the best-selling author of Me Mexican Gothic. Uh, that book was huge a couple years ago. Everybody wanted to see it. And this um, is a historical drama which is reimagining the island of Dr. Moreau set against a backdrop of 19th century Mexico. Okay. So we have Carlotta Moreau. She's a young woman growing up on a distant estate safe from the conflict and strife of the Yucatan Peninsula. The only daughter of a researcher who is either a genius or a madman. I think a lot of people are familiar with the story of Dr. Moreau. Uh -huh. Then we have Montgomery Lawton. Um, this is this melancholic overseer, tragic past, propensity for alcohol. Always got to have one of those. All those positive traits, He's an outcast who assists Dr. Moreau with his experiments, um, which are financed by this other group of people. Um, who are owners of this um, magnificent haciendas that we have. And then we have this other group, the hybrids. That's the fruits of the doctor's labor, mm -hmm. destined to blindly obey their creator and remain in the shadows. They're this motley group of part human, part animal monstrosities. Now, all of these people are living this kind of perfectly balanced and static world, which is jolted by the abrupt arrival of Eduardo, the charming and careless son of Dr. Moreau's patron, who will unwittingly begin this dangerous chain reaction. So for Moreau to keep secrets, Carlotta has questions, and in the sweltering heat of the jungle, we've got passions, we've got drama, we've got some horror. This is a dazzling historical novel and a daring science fiction journey. I don't know what more you could want. I love a take on stories that already exist. I think that's super cool. Yeah, and it's like a classic story that everybody knows in the back of their head. They, obviously, nobody's really seen movie versions because every time they it's make them, good. they are yeah. just terrible. They and, really can't get that right. <laughs> um, but, but it's definitely a classic story, and it's interesting, like you said, whenever they take it from one culture into another one and they have to kind of like adapt and switch stuff around, it's always oh, yeah. fun to watch. Man. That's going to be good. I think, and like I said, her last book was a really big deal, so I'm sure this one is as well written. I'll try not to imagine um, Marlon Brando speaking Spanish. Never do that. Uh, <laughs> well, it's better than thinking about Val Kilmer. What do, it's funny to think that 
Marlon Brando is not the worst actor in the island of Dr. Moreau. It's, they just, sometimes you wonder, you're like, I don't know what happened here, but everything went wrong. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Give us something that didn't go wrong. All right, so let's go a little more upbeat this one. Okay. Uh, Real Women Have Curves. Aww. Have you uh, checked this one out? Yeah, that's a lovely film. It's the uh, the introduction of America Ferrara to American society. Yeah. Uh, I did not do that alliteration on purpose. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. Um, so this is uh, was an HBO original movie, I believe. HBO original, or they bought it, one of the two. Didn't I happen. think it was an HBO original, if I was recall, it? back in the day. I remember it was a big deal. They were playing those commercials all the time. Uh, it's about the story, a story of a daughter of Mexican immigrants who lives in East L.A., who struggles between her own dreams of going to college and her mother's wish for her to get married. You know, that doesn't seem like it fits the title, but it also does deal with body image issues in yeah. there and, like, accepting who you are and all that. Because, you know, at the time, America was a little on the bigger side, so... Which she isn't even, but in no. U.S. standards, by U.S. I guess. standards, yeah. <laughs> like looking at her now compared to then, you can even see. Oh, like sure, they were like they got a big difference there. Yeah, like we like you, but if you want to be in more stuff, not going to work for Gross. us, unfortunately. Um, but it is a very important. It's a good movie when it comes to like body image, um, dealing with it, accepting who you are, being in a community or in a group of people who can all accept who they are. Um, and to not just not let people's outside perceptions kind of guide your own life. And it's also just kind of a fun movie. Like, you could just tell watching it that she was going to be a star. Yeah. Like, this is one of those movies where you're like, oh, this lead, I don't know who this person is, but I think she's going to be around for a while. I do love when that happens, and you're like, I was correct. Like, they were really <laughs> talented. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's it's the Angelina Jolie effect. You're watching Gia, and you're like, oh, this actress, I think she's going <laughs> to be. We're going to see more of her. Know, I sort of recognize her from that terrible Hackers movie, but she's actually connect. It's pretty awesome. She was hot in Hackers, though. Oh, Oh, my God. <laughs> she don't, was we, super don't hot. Even, <laughs> Just, just don't want ask to meet her dad. And He's I like that guy. Who is that guy in Hackers? And then she dated him. Johnny Lee Miller. She yeah. married that dude. Oh right, He's cutie too. Yeah, here's a guy that just disappeared after uh, Train Spotting. Well. I mean, maybe it's just taking it easy. Yeah, become a better actor, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, another nonfiction book. This is called Bad Mexicans, Race, Empire, and Revolution in the Borderlands by Kelly Little Hernandez. So Bad Mexicans tells the dramatic story of the Meganistas. This is the migrant rebels who sparked the 1910 Mexican Revolution from the United States. Um, it was led by a brilliant but ill-tempered radical named Ricardo Flores Magón. And the Meganistas were a just motley band of journalists, miners, migrant workers, and more who organized thousands of Mexican workers and American dissidents to their cause. Um, so they were determined to oust Mexico's dictator, Diaz, who encouraged the plunder of his country by U.S. imperialists such as Guggenheim and Rockefeller. And the rebels had to outrun and outsmart this swarm of U.S. authorities who were vested in protecting the Diaz regime. Because as always, we're like digging in and we're yeah. like, give us the good stuff. Leave it to the U.S. to, you know, pick the wrong side in a, a governmental conflict. I mean, they always pick the side of money, which, you know, it's very disappointing throughout time. But got, to, got to at least admire our consistency. <laughs> there is that. So the U.S. Departments of War, State, Treasury, and Justice, as well as police, sheriff, and spies all hunted the Meganistas across the country. Um, and then they ended up capturing Ricardo Flores Magón, um, and it was one of the FBI's first cases ever. Oh. So there is a lot of history in this, um, but the Meganistas really 
um, persevered. They lived in hiding after he was captured. They wrote in secret code. They launched armed raids into Mexico until they ignited the world's kind of first social revolution of the 20th century. It's a really interesting story. I think a lot of people don't know about it, and you should definitely, definitely check out Bad Mexicans. That's a pretty cool, uh, cool set of a story. I didn't oh yeah, really that's know on that is on my to read list. Um, I love. I mean, I love learning new things, even though, again, my sister is always right. Uh, the smarter I get, the sadder I am. It's very true, but well, like, I just keep it going. Well, I think that, you know, there's the old adage, you know, ignorance is bliss. That's pretty uh, much. I mean, it is the most correct adage of all. You will not see somebody uh, somebody that's going to be happier that's just sitting around watching, like, I don't know, NASCAR on a Sunday afternoon. Like, sure, ca- I mean, ca- that stuff feels go- good. Guys sitting there, cars going left. I wonder what they're going to do I don't know. Next. I'm getting into the, the Formula One racing is pretty awesome. Well, Formula actually. One's <laughs> different. Now, we can, they can make left and right turns. So That stuff is, like, wild. They've stressed me out, those we'll races. We'll talk about that. Like, I was in Toronto the one time accidentally when they were having one of those races, and it was very interesting, like, because, you know, you walk right up to the side, like, at some of the turns, and it's just like, these cars are whizzing they're like, we will run into you and you will die. <laughs> that yeah. is that is the thing. You're just sitting there like hoping that nobody hits the wall and like tires don't go flying like a dang Final Destination movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else you got for us? Uh, sp- speaking of Final Destination oh, movies, no. I'm going to go with uh, the next one I got here is I'm No Longer Here or Ya No Estoy Aquí. I apologize for my uh, pronunciation of those words. So this one is a drama about a teenager from Monterey, Mexico, who migrates to New York City after a run-in with a local cartel. Seems like it's a story that we see a lot. Unfortunately, we see it a lot because it's a story that people have to deal with because cartels are awful and they're a Mm -hmm. big deal in Latin America, unfortunately. So deal with that what you will. So the interesting thing about this movie, though, is it does a very good job of capturing like the isolation that immigrants feel when they first move to a new country. You got to figure that when you first come to New York from like Mexico, not only, especially Monterey, it's going to be such a culture shock. You're going from like a town that's not as developed. There's not as much stuff going on. Everybody's kind of like, you know, a little on the like less, not as have as much money as maybe they do in New York City. Correct. And no, not to mention the fact everybody speaks Spanish, the language you speak, which is very helpful. Now you go to New York City, it's like, Big buildings, people are rushing around everywhere. Only about 75% of the population speaks Spanish, so you have to deal with that little kind of thing. Um, but just the isolation that immigrants feel when they first come if they don't have some kind of support group to like build them up, and as they have to try to meet like new families, new communities, kind of ingratiate themselves, all while having to deal with their old life, you know, it's something to consider. It's mm-hmm. why. It's why these immigrant stories and these stories of like moving to America are so important because it continues to happen. It's like you can switch in Hispanic families for like Asian families, for African families. You really can, yeah. Just like any culture, you can. It, it's appropriate for all of them. And, you know, they make a pretty darn entertaining little movie at it as well. So. <laughs> Hello, pretty darn entertaining little movie. You are aging right in front of me. I cleaned it up a little bit. (laughs) I've got to bring out my reading glasses soon. Uh, All right. The next book I'm going to recommend is called Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez. This has been considered one of the best books of the year um, by Time, NPR, Vogue, Esquire, Goodreads, Reader's Digest. I mean, really, it's on everyone's list. Yeah, it's a pretty big uh, little group of people backing it up there. You get pretty big group of little people what do you even say <laughs> stop it's early, it's early man i'm, I'm stop, throwing like i'm doing stop, a lot of please. size work this week so this book it's 2017 and olga and her brother uh pedro prieto 
Acevedo. I was so close to getting it. Acevedo. Acevedo. I know that because of the TV show Oz, and that was the last name of one of the lead actors. Okay, correct me every time I'm wrong. I appreciate Uh, it very much. What I'm best at. They are bold-faced names in their hometown of New York. So Prieto is a popular congressman representing their gentrifying Latinx neighborhood in Brooklyn, while Olga is the Tony wedding planner for Manhattan's power brokers. So despite their just absolutely alluring public lives, behind closed doors, things are far less rosy. I mean, sure, Olga can orchestrate the love stories of the 1% that she's working for, but she can't find her own until she meets Mateo, who forces her to confront the effects of long-held family secrets. And then Olga and Prieto's mother, Blanca, a young lord-turned-radical, abandon her children to advance a militant political cause, leaving them to be raised by their grandmother. And now, with the winds of hurricane season, Blanca has come barreling back into their lives. Oh. Got a lot of stuff going on. So again, this is set against the backdrop of New York City in the months surrounding the most devastating hurricane in Puerto Rico's history. Um, and Gonzalez's book here is a story that really examines political corruption, familial strife, and the very notion of the American dream, all while asking, um, let's say, what it really means to weather a storm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like I did there in too. both ways. I there. Like yeah. what you did there. So people are really loving this book. So definitely check that one out. Hopefully, uh, Puerto Rico is going to remain safe down there because they do have a it, pretty bad hurricane. It's bad right now. I mean, it's very, it's so stressful. I, I don't know. You just want to do something, and you're like, I can do nothing, and it feels really there, terrible. There's apparently this part uh, in San Juan that's right near their fort where it's just like a cat. Um, like a cat sanctuary mm-hmm. and it's like this whole section of the island where it's just like a one little hut for cats to have food and they just let them oh. run wild there's like hundreds of cats just running around free doing whatever i mean what are you gonna do sounds fabulous man little that cat. part there's one part that sounds fabulous yes <laughs> cats teaming up they're stealing pastillos um, to make a little call back to earlier in the episode <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you want to just throw a couple more out before yeah, we're, we're just, out of time? I'll do some quick ones here. Uh, Book of Life, an animated love story about a man attempting to come back from the dead to be with his love. If you think it sounds like Coco, you're right, because it does. They <laughs> okay. probably stole the idea I'm sure that it. they did. Uh, probably less music, but it came out three years before it, so it's definitely definitely one to check out. Uh, Eat Two Mama Tambien. Oh, love that movie. The, the story of two mm-hmm. teenage boys and an older woman who embark mm-hmm. on a road trip through Mexico. The movie that introduced everybody to Alfonso Cuaron, the Academy Award winning director of Revenant and such that we love. It's a good movie, so everybody. Much. It is a good movie. <laughs> um, yeah, go check that one out. And what else do I got here? Oh, Pelo Malo. A little boy struggles with straightening his curly hair. This one is a movie, yeah, a little on the lighter side. A story about um, how every culture has their own definition of beauty and the insecurity that can cause for certain people when they don't exactly conform to that idea of beauty. So a couple to go check out, everyone. You know, go be happy with yourself. Don't let other people influence how you're feeling. Wow, Jacob being positive. Take that for what it is. It doesn't happen a lot. It it doesn't happen a lot at all. I'm thinking I wanted to try something new and big time this (laughs) week. Good. That's great. I'm just going to throw two more nonfiction books in before we have to wrap it up here. The first one is called High Risk Homosexual by Edgar Gomez. This is a really witty memoir and it traces a touching and often hilarious um, path to embracing a gay Latinx identity against a culture of machoism. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a cockfighting ring in Nicaragua to cities across the U.S. and bathhouses, nightclubs, drag queens who help redefine pride, 
it's got a little bit of everything. It's a pretty wild story. And like I said, it's told with humor. Um, so check that one out. And then another one, another memoir is Crying in the Bathroom by Erica L. Sanchez. This is a really original memoir in essays that is deeply moving but is also hilarious. And in these essays, Sanchez writes about everything from sex to white feminism to uh, debilitating depression, revealing this really interior life rich with ideas and self-awareness and perception. So, yeah, and you get to still learn about culture and people and all of the things. This is a really great month. We have so many more suggestions. Um, but as always, we just run out of time. And it just is what it is. So, Jacob, do what you do best and plug us up. If you are looking for a way to uh, learn more about Latin culture or you just want to start to learn some Spanish because you're like, I only know one language and it makes me feel like a chump, you know what you can do? <laughs> you can stop by your local library. We have 37 branches all throughout Erie County. So stop on by and we'll give you a hand. Uh, don't forget to visit our website at www.buffalolib.org. See what kind of programs we got going on. We, I'm sure we got a bunch, man. It's that time of the year. And uh, I forgot the last part of our <laughs> Because thing. you just don't, say things and they make me laugh. Go ahead. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at <laughs> AllBookedUpPod and let us know what you are doing to celebrate uh, Latin History Month. Besides eating pastillos. Besides eating pastillos <laughs> and all the red beans and rice you can. Okay, did you know the start of this festive month, which I said begins on September 15th. They picked that because that marks the Independence Day of Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Then on September 16th, Mexico celebrates its Independence Day, followed by Chile on September 18th and Belize on September 21st. So that is why it is this time of year. That's right. Take that Spain and Portugal. Get out of this place. (laughs) We don't don't want you around here. That's a different Spanish. Um, According to Pew Research Center findings, in 2020, there are about 62.1 million Hispanics in the U.S., which makes up about 19% of the total population in a broader sense over the past decade. So from 2010 to 2020, the U.S. population as a whole grew about 23 million people, and Hispanics made up 51% of this increase. Oh, man, I'm telling you. That's an an uptick, man. That's That's an uptick, yeah, it's great. And while Hispanics and Latinx people may have different histories and cultures, many are united, as I said before, by a shared language of Spanish. In 2021, Forbes stated that more than 559 million people speak Spanish around the world. Mm. And out of that number, 460 million people are native speakers. So that makes it the second largest population of native speakers behind Mandarin. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, also very interesting. And then the last fact here, the U.S. does not have an official language. I just like to remind people. Remember that, everyone. It's very important. Esperanto didn't take. It did not. But 13% of the population speak Spanish at home. So according to Babbel, English takes the top spot as the most spoken language in the U.S. with 254 million speakers. But then that is followed by 43 million Spanish speakers and nearly 3 million Chinese speakers. So Forbes reports that one in three people will speak Spanish by 2050. So as Jacob said, don't be a chump. Yeah. It's a good time to learn another language. Come get your Espanol on, everybody. <laughs> we can help. We got stuff for that. We can help you out right down here for that. You have a beautiful accent. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.